You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, tech fans, and welcome in to episode 145 of the Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. On Monday's episode, we analyze a disappointing 23-16 loss for Virginia Tech to Wake Forest from this past Saturday and what it means for the Hokies moving forward. Episode 145 of the Tech Sideline podcast gets started right now. It's great to have you with us for episode 145 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Whether you are watching live or archived on YouTube, listening on Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcast, or on Stitcher. We are so glad you could join us as we record on Monday morning, October 26th. We've got our managing editor, Chris Coleman, with us this morning. Our founder and general manager, Will Stewart, the best podcast producer in the land. He is Malcolm Stewart, taking your YouTube live questions for the end of the show. And I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. This week and every week, the Tech Sideline podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. The Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended tens of thousands of people charged with moving violations. For free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free at 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031, or email the Fisher Law Firm at info at fisherlegal.com. Gentlemen, good morning. What a weekend of uh, weather in Blacksburg. It was beautiful on Friday and Saturday. Sunday, chilly, cloudy. It looks like the warm weather is officially gone in Blacksburg. It's coming, man. It's a sad day when that weather, you know it's going to be Blacksburg cold moving forward. I think it's isn't it supposed to be warm this week or am I? Yeah, it's going to be warm again it, this week. It yeah, might get up and, to seventy once or twice, and, and then, then it's going to give up. And um, so daylight savings time is coming up next weekend, right? On Halloween. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I remember it happened uh, last year when I was in South Bend for the Notre Dame game. So we got an extra hour after the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How was your weekend, Chris Coleman? Typical. I didn't do much of anything. I went to the gym, watched the Tech game. Wrote an article on Sunday, and that's about it. Where did you watch the Tech game? I watched the Tech game at Champs. He's a, Chris Coleman made the return to yeah. Champs. Wow, yeah. that's um, right. Will, how was your weekend? Uh, good. So, so I was thinking, should I? When, when you ask how we're doing, should I start out with? I have two choices here. One of them is, you know, that feeling you get when you're forgetting something. I got that feeling, and I still don't know what it is yet. And that feeling's always right. Or should I lead with? So the last song I heard before I got out of the truck in the parking lot was uh, Mickey by Tony Basil. 
You know what I'm talking about, right? No, I hear Oh, my idea. gosh. I've and never, honestly, I, I, Oh, Mickey, you're so fine. You're so fine. You blow me Oh, yeah, Mickey. of course. <laughs> uh, that, that song was in Pitch Perfect, the movie. That's how I first learned about that song. Really? The, 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 mm-hmm. the only reason I've ever heard of it is because of Wayne's World. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. <laughs> well, that's, an, that's what's called an earworm. It gets in your ear and gets in your head. And Do, do you guys wake up with a song in your head every day? No. Well, Not necessarily. I, with one, but I, don't think I, ever I typically do. It's weird. I, uh, I I do take a shower first thing I do when I wake up and I play music, but I, I don't wake up with one in my head particularly. You know, I used to do that. I used to play music in the shower or like play a radio. Well, these days you can take something in the shower with you. You got all this waterproof stuff. My my kids do it. Um, back uh, back in my day, no, you had a little radio you put on the back of the toilet and cranked up, and everybody else in the house would get mad at you. You got, you got to get amped up for the podcast. So I, I try and listen to some uh, some hype music because you know we got to bring the energy. Uh, you know, especially talking about a uh, difficult twenty three to sixteen loss on all right. Saturday. All right. So for those of you who uh, to to continue on that tired subject, and then we'll get off of it. For those of you familiar with the Mickey song, that was played at the end of a movie called Bring It On, which was a cheerleading movie. Then there was this other raunchy cheerleading comedy movie that I saw one time that had a song at the end of it called That's Not My Name by the Ting Tings. Look it up. It's very similar in with drumbeat type stuff. And, and Malcolm's heard it before because I played it on, a, uh, on our RV trip way back in 2013. I played it a lot in the RV. That's not my name by the Ting Tings, and and you will you will get an earworm similar to uh, Mickey by Tony Basil. So let's put that to bed and move on. We do have a new addition to the podcast set today, right to the right of Will Stewart. For those that are watching on YouTube, take a look at that. It's brought to you by Campus Emporium. Will, for those listening, tell our listeners what you have on your right leg right now. This is a beer stein. Well, it's called a stein on their website. Of course, it's not called a beer stein. It's called a Virginia Tech Stein. You'll never condone putting beer. No, in no, 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 no. Why, why would you put alcohol in, in this Stein? No, it's it's. It's not like for, we have alcohol on the set right now or anything. No, for, yeah. <laughs> drinking any beverage. We have stick of it choice. in ale right now, of course. So this is very cool, nice, heavy duty, uh, real, real nice construction. I haven't read the description of it, so I can't go into a lot more detail than that. But we will drop this link down in the uh, description for the YouTube video. Very nice, though. So that's today's Campus Emporium featured item. And the Tech Sideline podcast also presented by the Southeast Regional Training Center. Will, why is that so important to the success of Virginia Tech Wrestling, and how can our listeners or viewers get involved if they'd like to? Well, in any collegiate sport, there are only three things that matter, recruiting, recruiting, and recruiting, right? So the Southeast Regional Training Center helps with recruiting without getting bogged down in the details. And you can help by by visiting southeastrtc.com and donating to the Southeast Regional Training Center. Episode 145 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Evan Hughes, Chris Coleman, Will Stewart, and Malcolm Stewart. If you have a question for Will or Chris, go ahead and drop it now if you're watching on YouTube Live, and we will get to it at the end of the show. We're going to break down the 23-16 to win for Wake Forest on Saturday uh, that dropped Virginia Tech to 3-2. and We're going to talk about the offense and Hendon Hooker. We're going to talk about the penalties. And towards the end of the podcast, we're going to talk about the state of the fan base. So the Hokies lose 23 to 16, over a hundred yards in penalties, the most under Justin Fuente since he's been the head and coach. And I think that was 11, 11 flags thrown, right? Which I think is the most also. Hendon Hooker threw three interceptions. Khalil Herbert was held to under 70 yards on the ground. And Brian Johnson missed two field goals. Will, did Wake Forest win this game? Or did Virginia Tech lose the game on Saturday? That is an excellent question. 
and I think you can make the case um, that Virginia Tech lost it. Um, so when you ask me if Wake Forest won it, I sit here and I immediately start thinking, what did Wake Forest do to win this game? Certainly nothing in the second half. Right. They, they, they did Wake Forest things. We, we talked about coming in that they were one of the best tackling teams in the country, and they, they were as good as advertised in tackling. But they didn't make a lot of exceptional plays. But uh, um, something that I'm going to talk about in my, in my Monday article today, you know, Wake Forest had a, had a – when Tech tied it at 10, Wake Forest had a 17-play, 75-yard drive in response, seven minutes off the clock. They converted a third down, and then they converted three straight fourth downs. Fourth and two, fourth and one, fourth and two. And – that that is the the only point that I can recall right off the top of my head in which I thought Wake Forest won the game. They responded to something Tech did, and they, and they coached aggressively and picked up the first downs. But you know, and it, I think it for, for for Virginia Tech, it was just one of those days. It just didn't make plays, and they made a lot of mistakes. Chris, did Virginia Tech lose the game, or did Wake Forest win the game? I think you asked me this same question last week with Boston College and Virginia oh, yeah? Tech, and, and I that, didn't and really, that was easy. I didn't really answer it. Um, <laughs> Because, like, Virginia Tech won by 26, but at the same time, BC really, really, really helped them out, right? And uh, so I kind of feel like uh, Tech – first of all, yes, uh, you know, Virginia Tech lost the game. And uh, I think you can argue this year that Tech is now 1-1 one one in games like that. where They won one because of the other team's mistakes, and they lost one because of their own mistakes. And in the end, you know, 3-2, and two, you know, you, you are who you are. Um, that that was a disappointing standpoint of it. Like I, I thought when Virginia Tech played UNC, considering where the defense was physically and mentally, and without having all those coaches for all those weeks, like I think Tech did about all they could do to win the football game against UNC. They they just it was a bad matchup, and there were too many guys on defense that were just coming back from COVID or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that wasn't in the cards. But I thought Tech played a, as well as they possibly could. It's a shame they wasted that on a game that they didn't have a chance to win. Yes. Um, because they didn't do all they could do against against Wake Forest. Like what if what if they had played what if they'd played their horrible game against UNC and lost by 30 or whatever instead of 11. But they had taken that good game that they played against UNC and played that good game against Wake. If we'd have got blown out by UNC, that wouldn't make you happy. But we're four and one right now instead of three and two, right? So that was the frustrating part. It was that that was an extremely winnable game, and they made a lot of losing plays. And I'm just not not even talking about the turnovers. Right. Um, we'll get to those later, but uh, just some stupid plays, uh, uncharacteristic plays. Some of them that I thought weren't like I don't think they should have thrown a flag on Narelle Pollard. In fact, I think what caused that to happen is the fact that the officials were so late blowing the whistle on that play anyway. You've got five guys wrapped, got the ball carrier wrapped up in the backfield. And I'm sitting there watching the game, and I don't get very animated during games these days. And I'm, But I'm sitting there going, blow the whistle. Yeah. Like, he stopped. He's completely wrapped up. And if you've ever been a player on one of those, you get to that point where you're like, is the ref ever going to blow the whistle? And you feel like you should let go, but you also feel like maybe he's already blown it, and I just didn't hear it. I don't, I can't, so I don't want to drag the guy down, and 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 it gets you real frustrated briefly. And we saw that, you know, he gave the ball carrier a little shove, but it wasn't enough. 
in my opinion, for a penalty. Um, that being said, things like that are going to happen in a football game where things, flags, whatever, don't go your way. And in uh, Virginia Tech, you know, they didn't they didn't respond well to every, every time either Wake Forest did something or the refs did something or, or something bad happened, they just lost their cool, it seemed like. They, they just weren't, weren't ready from a mental standpoint. Yeah, so uh, so a couple things. Um, first of all, talking about best effort in losing uh, in a losing game against UNC, that, that reminds me of a discussion you and I always have where the basketball team, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, the basketball team will go out and shoot 88% from the free throw line and lose a game anyway. They'll shoot 88% against Duke and – or UNC or somebody like or Louisville, and, and, and then beat. in a close game they'll shoot sixty two percent against and, Boston and lose College. It. So, <laughs> uh, next thing is towards towards the question of you know did Virginia Tech lose this football game? If you, if you go look at the team stats, I'm just you know in a vacuum. Pretend you didn't know the score. Virginia Tech had twenty eight first downs. Wake Forest had eighteen. Virginia Tech had four hundred thirty three yards. Wake Forest had three hundred forty six. I think I'm reading this without my glasses. Well, see the box score I looked at said three sixteen. I thought it was. Well, it may have been corrected later. Okay. Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, this this is an interesting discussion. On the play where Gerard Hewitt got thrown out, it was was initially incorrectly entered into the box score as a 25-yard gain for Wake. Oh, that was. It was a five-yard loss by Wake and then two 15-yard penalties, and that's a 30-yard difference. This says 346. It's been corrected to 316. Okay. I screen capped this from live stats right after the okay. game. So we, we've actually gotten in a number of these discussions on Twitter with Damian Salas, who, who was generally listening to these. And there will be one or two mistakes like that per game. And, and in this case, it was something that they went back and corrected later. And the reason we got into it after the game, this game was uh, Teal and Nizialek, I believe, uh, quoted a stat that this was – they were talking about the number of penalties in this game. And their information about past games was incorrect. Um, they were looking it up on sites like College Football Stats, CFB Stats, and I was looking it up on Hokiesports.com. And that's a situation where the original mistaken stats went to CFB Stats and never got corrected. Later on in reviewing the game, Damien corrects it. So what winds up on Hokie Sports is correct after the game is reviewed. And this results in a lot of stats being out there in the world somewhere, which are actually incorrect. And so since we're talking about this, I got to go into, into the game recap and I have to change these team stats to actually be correct. So back back to the topic, you know, uh, 78 plays to 66 plays, possession time was slightly in favor of Tech. You read all these stats, it looks like Tech won. And they didn't. They lost by a touchdown because of the mistakes and penalties and turnovers. Chris, what's more concerning moving forward? Over 100 penalty yards or Hendon Hooker throwing three interceptions? Uh, the penalty yards um, for me. Uh, Hendon Hooker, we'll get into this more later, but his two lowest grading games of his career have come against Wake Forest. I think there's just something about Wake Forest. Uh, they know how to play him or something like that. Do you think it's a Winston-Salem being close to Greensboro No, thing? no, because he plays great against UNC, and he and UNC's Chapel Hill right yeah. there, you know. Uh, so I don't think it has anything to do with that. Um, I just think 
for whatever reason, they've got his number, or maybe they've got the offensive staff's number. I, I don't know. Uh, so, But he's never had an issue with turnovers before. Not like this. Not, yeah. not, as far as interceptions go. I mean, the interception, the two interceptions he threw last year were right at the end of games when, you know, Tech's trying to drive 90 yards or, or one, of, one of them was like that. And, and, he, and one of these was at the very end of the game. Yeah, yeah, and, and the other one was tipped. So, like, to, to me, the, the penalties are more concerning. Like, uh, it was a rough game by Hooker for sure, but just looking at the fact that his two worst games from a PFF grading standpoint of his career have been against Wake Forest, that I think there's there's something to that. There's probably a reason for that. Well, how about you? More concerning, over 100 penalty yards or Hooker's three interceptions? Moving forward. Moving forward. Um, funny, I don't think either one of them will persist. Virginia Tech was was a, one of the – not one of the best, but one of the better teams in the country as far as not committing penalties. So that was uncharacteristic. And they were one of the better teams in the country as far as not committing turnovers. So that was uncharacteristic. So I don't – and now I'm double clutching in my brain and, and I'm, I'm worried that, you know, and we had talked about this on the podcast and in articles that when somebody finally stopped the run, Virginia Tech would struggle with the downfield passing game because mm. the wide receivers aren't getting separation. And it's unfair to say wide receivers because it includes James Mitchell. He's not getting separation either. Um, so we worried that the passing game would struggle when the running game got stopped. So from that standpoint, Wake Forest, and, and this isn't brilliant, coaches know this stuff, Wake Forest has put out the blueprint for how to beat Virginia Tech, um, to beat Virginia Tech's offense. Now, you have to be able to execute it, and not everybody can execute it. Wake executed it well. Episode 145 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. It's brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. We're talking about Wake Forest beating Virginia Tech 23-16 to on Saturday. I want to continue the conversation about Hendon Hooker because he was coming off of one of his best career games. Oh, oh, it was uh, against B.C., it was his highest grading performance of his entire career. And then Wake Forest, the very next week, it was the second worst grading game of his career behind only last year's Wake Forest game. Hooker's number 17 of 33 through the air, 223 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. It very well could have been four interceptions. You guys go back to the uh, one-handed interception from one of the Wake Forest cornerbacks in the I second half. That, that was, that was hit, yeah. hit the turf, and they ruled it an incomplete pass. That almost could have mm-hmm. been his fourth interception right. of the game. Hooker on the ground. 17 attempts, 98 yards, contributing to Virginia Tech's 210 yards on the ground as a team. But I was going through one of the articles that was written on TechSideline.com, and one of the posters, uh, Vic Dritt, uh, in the comment section, posted this about Hendon Hooker, the fact that he is 1-3 in his last four starts. Virginia, Kentucky, Boston College, and Wake Forest. Is that a cause for concern that he has one and three in his last four starts? Is there anything that we should be reading into, or is it just that they played two really good teams at the end of 2019 and it's been a little bit of a slow start per well, se early in 2020? Oh, I think I don't think either of the losses last year were his fault. I mean, he 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 didn't have such a great passing game against Kentucky, but you know he put up yards and points against UVA, and the offense as a whole put up yards against Kentucky. It's not Hendon Hooker's fault that Damon Hazelton can't catch an easy third down pass to keep that last drive alive. Or that the it's, defense, or that the can't, defense stop an, an, can't stop an eight-minute drive. Right, or, or tackle a mobile quarterback. Right, right. right. So uh, I, the only loss of, of those three that you can put on Hooker were probably was what the Wake Forest game. And, and he had some help in that one, of course. This is the worst blocking game 
uh, that, that, right. that we've seen from this oh, offensive line and tight end. It was the worst receivers. of everything in one performance. It was, yeah. it, was, it was Hooker's worst game. It was the, the interior offensive line's worst game, which is why people are going to ask this question, why didn't Tech run inside more? It's, well, because their guards and center were are having horrible games. Yeah. And so it was the interior offensive line's worst game, Hooker's worst game, and then you had a bunch of penalties. All of that together, man. All, all I mean, you you could overcome one of those. You know, right. if, if if one of those three things happens, just one of them, Tech probably still wins the game. But all three happen at once, and can't and, happen. And so, one of the things we talk about is 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 a. I think that Justin Fuente does a good does a good job of giving his putting his team back in position to win and getting them some momentum. And, you know, the fake pun in the 2016 ACC championship game yeah. is a classic example. And uh, here again, yeah. You know, and, and so we he runs a fake punt in this game. Beautiful timing. Clutch moment. And and I think the offense completely squandered oh, it. Well, and, they faltered and, no, and didn't score. No yeah. momentum came yeah. out of it. Right. I, I do want to talk about the offensive line for a moment. We'll talk about the running game and continue our conversation about the offense in this 23-16 loss. Episode 145 of the Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. Chris, in your preview article for the game, I believe you pointed this out. This is either statistics backing it up or it was pro football focus that had Wake Forest second to last in the ACC at stopping the run. That, Car- that sounds right. Carlos Boogie Basham, terrific game. It To me, it felt like the Wake Forest defensive line had their way with Virginia Tech's offensive line that had been so good. Tech's tackles played well. The interior of the line uh lasita smith reverted back to his freshman form of two years ago doug nestor looked like the doug nestor of last year uh, and he's still a young player he's still a, a true sophomore uh brock hoffman has has been the low grader of the offensive line so far the, this year and i don't i think it's one of those things that like he hasn't played bad but like he hasn't been like elite he's been good solid uh but you know, he came to Virginia Tech from Coastal Carolina, and on Saturday we got the Coastal Carolina version of Brock Hoffman. All three of those guys on the same day for whatever reason. I don't know. The tackles played pretty well in general. Um, Trey Turner blocked well on the edge. James Mitchell had the second-worst blocking game of his career behind the Notre Dame game last year. Yeah, there there were a couple of instances, one where one or two where Mitchell was unfairly matched up against uh, Boogie Basham. And then another one in which, you know, so the uh, the red zone execution was, was hideous, and we can get into that also. And one of them was, uh, I think Virginia Tech was on the four-yard line, and they they ran a sweep to the left with Blackshear. Mm-hmm. And, and Mitchell, and Mitchell wasn't alone, I think Nestor also, just got blown up, and it was thrown for a seven-yard loss. So some of it was James just not blocking as well as he usually does. And other times are when he's way out on the end of the line and Boogie Basham's way out on the end of the line, and and the run is to the other end, and Boogie Basham starts accelerating. That's a tough block for Mitchell to make, you know. And, and that happened at, at least once, maybe twice. Khalil Herbert was held to under seventy yards on the ground. He came into the game as the nation's leading rusher in terms of yards per game, just below one fifty. So let me game. let me jump in there. Uh, if you want to criticize play calling, uh, this is an instance where you shouldn't. Um, I believe Virginia Tech had second and two. Second and two in the red zone. I don't remember exactly where. What do you do in that situation? You hand the ball off to Khalil Herbert, right? Well, that's exactly what they did, and he got thrown for a one-yard loss because the blocking just wasn't there. Um, 
So people who freak out and think everything is the offensive coordinator's fault, that's the, I'm, I'm not fond of the Blackshear sweep to the short side that I just talked about a minute ago. But on second and two in the red zone, running Khalil Herbert up the middle is a good call. I was going to bring up the fact or, or ask the question more so, the fact that he was held below 70 yards. Is that a credit to Wake Forest defense? Is that a result of Virginia Tech's offensive line? Was it just an off game for Khalil Herbert? My question is, why did Virginia Tech, it seemed like at times, struggle to run the football on Saturday in your perspective? Uh, it's some of both. Uh, Tech, as I just entailed, you know, to the interior of Tech's line just wasn't good for the first time this year. In fact, it's the first time they've been anything less than really, really good. And when I say right. they weren't good, I'm comparing them to their own standards. They had set a they high were still, bar. They were still better than most past Virginia Tech offensive lines, <laughs> right? But, but, uh, but they, weren't, they weren't good by their own standards. Secondly, and you know, Fuente touched on this last Monday on Tech Talk Live. He said, he said something like, "How do you phrase it?" He said, "A coach will never tell you if he thinks another coaching staff can't coach." But he said, "Let me tell you this about Wake Forest staff." And he was talking about defense. He said, "They have an answer for everything they throw at you from an X's and O's standpoint." He's like, "They they know their scheme and their players so well." That ever that everything you do, they know exactly how to counter it. So, I I think there was some of that. Like, and and when you get that, like when it comes down to when it's going to come down to players versus players, then your players have to out execute their players. Right. You know, like if Wake Forest staff, defensive staff, is that good? Uh, and honestly, during the entire Dave Clawson era, I don't think I've ever watched a Wake Forest game where I thought. Oh man, Wake really got out coached today, right? I'd, I'd agree with that. Yeah, and, and I mean that—that's just a really good staff. So when you play Wake Forest, you, you just your players have to beat their players. So one of the plays we've been waiting for all years is is the pop pass to Blackshear down the middle, and and Cornelson finally—I don't remember exactly what point in the game it happened—but he pulls it out of his bag of tricks. And darned if I don't I don't even know which Wake Forest player it was or what position he played. He was all over Blackshear. Right. Hendon executed it perfectly, threw a perfect ball, hit him in stride, and and they just like, tackled like him. Like it gained nineteen yards, so it was a good play. But if Wake had been a step a, a slow, step slow, it would have that's been a, a touch. touchdown. Yeah. But yeah. they weren't a step slow because they were so well prepared. Here's a quick tangent. You know, Wake Forest has gone to four consecutive bowl games under Dave Clawson. Will, do you think Wake Forest is a team that doesn't get enough respect from other ACC fans around the league? I am really glad you asked me that question, and I'll answer it this way. Look at what happened in the rankings after Virginia Tech lost this game. They went from being number 19 or 20 in the AP to not even getting votes, while over in the coaches' poll, they're still getting a lot of votes. And when you see this happen, what it tells you is coaches respect what Dave Kloss is doing at Wake Forest, but they also respect what Justin Fuente is doing here at Virginia Tech. And so when they see that result, they don't punish Virginia Tech too much. Now, the AP sports writers, on the other hand, give it the old eye roll. How can you lose it to Wake Forest with the, when you got the leading rusher in the country? Boom, and nobody even votes for Tech. But I feel like even fans, Chris, when they see Wake Forest, they think, "Oh, it's Wake Forest." Yeah. I don't. I, to me, I don't think Wake Forest gets the respect in terms of Dave Clawson and the job he's done and being a really good offense, as we detailed on Thursday. Yeah, uh, he's a really, really good coach. Uh, you know, I, I think 
the details of recruiting rankings these days, like too many players get ranked, you know. Once you get past number, I don't, I don't know, but there's no reason to rank the number 750 player in the country and then the number 1250 player in the country there's not and then, that much the, then the number 2000 player in the country right. because there's no way you can conceivably tell any difference between those players they do it just for entertainment and to sell subscriptions right but fans buy into it but in reality once you get past a certain point there's no difference between a lot of these players and it all, and, it all and comes down you... to system fit whether that player hits the weight room hard and is dedicated all player development, all of that stuff. So, like, Virginia Tech, they're, they're, they, they're slightly more talented than Wake Forest, but it's not like 2009 or whatever where they could just run them off the field. Well, and, you go back to 2006 and when Wake won the ACC, Tech pounded them. Oh, down they pounded Winston, them, right, right. And, and was clearly a more talented team. Right. Now, and that's that's the case for everybody. You know, I, I've made the mistake of saying, though, there's no parity in college football anymore. And that's true when it comes to the national championship. There's only five or six teams that actually can compete for that. But there's a lot of parity everywhere else. Like if you've watched any, I watched the highlights of the Indiana Penn State game, and what I'm not saying I'm not saying Penn State doesn't have more talent overall than Indiana because they do, but it's not like it used to be. Like when I watch that Indiana running back go through the line and just run over that Penn State safety for a touchdown, that's talent on talent. When I watch that Indiana receiver beat that probably four-star Penn State cornerback in the air in the corner of the end zone for a ball, that that's not an X's and O play. That's a talent play. Yeah. The, the talent is spread out more now throughout college football than, than it used to be. The elite talent is all gathered at the top together. They're, they're stockpiling. But, but the rest of it, once you get past the top 250 or 300 or so, guys, there's not just not a whole lot of difference. Like. That was Wake Forest's highest-ranked win, by the way, since the 90s against Virginia Tech. It was ranked 19th in the AP poll. Let's, sorry, no, I, I want to say one thing. The, the, the bottom line on, on, on ESPN, they like to point out the fact that that was just, like Tech's sixth loss under Justin as Forte a ranked as a ranked team. team. I mean, like, every time Penn's... Two, two unranked teams. Oh, two unranked teams. Yes. Oh, okay. okay. So that's a six loss as a ranked team, two, two unranked, unranked teams. teams. Okay, okay. I mean, we're breaking down... Never the... mind, that was... Uh, I was going to say something You're going to go yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah. Breaking down the 23-16 win for Wake Glad Forest on help. Saturday, episode 145 <laughs> of the Tech Sideline podcast brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. Last thing on the offense before we transition to the defense because there were bright spots, there were positives, and we're going to talk about the defense just a moment. You know, Virginia Tech did run for over 200 yards as a team. 210, Hen- uh, 210 I think. 210, the exact number. Hendon Hooker, the leading rusher with 98 yards. Khalil Herbert, 64 yards. Raheem Blackshear, 11 carries for 34 yards. And Oscar Bradburn shows up in the box score, by the way, for 14 yards rushing. If Khalil Herbert is not able to run for, let's say, over 100 yards per game, just how different does Virginia Tech's offense look when they have to rely on the passing game the, more? The traditional passing game, not the smoke and mirrors passing game that is built off a of successful misdirection and right, stuff misdirection. Like that. Yeah, well, they still can't execute the traditional passing game for a variety of reasons. Uh, their receivers aren't aren't great, to be honest with you. Uh, and Hooker, that's just not the type of quarterback he is. Um, now, in defense of Hooker, you know, we all knew this at the end of last year. Like, if you if you didn't realize it by the last drive of the UVA game, then, then you should have realized it after that, you know, when, the, when he just couldn't stand in a pocket and 
and from behind and complete balls downfield. And I'm not talking just about Hooker. It was the whole offensive, the whole right. operation. The offensive line was too young. There weren't enough good receivers. And then he was a young quarterback who didn't have that background. So that was a spot. That was the number one point of improvement for the spring. <laughs> what spring? Right, right. So that that, that was the th- that was the idea for the for the spring. Okay, here's what we need to do to take a step forward as an offense. Here's what Hendon Hooker has to do to take a step forward as a quarterback. Get better in the traditional passing game. Well, there was no spring, and then they come back in in August and start practicing, and there's no Trey Turner because, from what we understand. A good chunk, maybe even most of August practice, he wasn't even practicing uh, because of injury, plantar, yep. plantar fasciitis. So, like he didn't even practice this past week, really, from what we understand. And, and you much. saw that manifest itself in the game. There was one play where he got up and, and he was, you know, um, plantar fasciitis. I think is one of those things that uh, I, I don't want to. I've got it right now. So from, is it from, is it true that that you're fine and then you step on it wrong and all of a sudden it hurts like crazy? It hurts more when uh, when you get up in the morning, but yeah. once you get going, now I'm okay. sure mine's a milder case compared to whatever he's got. But I don't let it. I don't let me. I don't let it keep me from doing physical activities. Right. But but I mean, it's there. I know it's there, and it's from what I was walking five miles a day back in uh, back over the summer, yeah. just every single day. Um, so, so he's he's not a hundred. He's not a hundred percent. Some of the receivers were out for corona-related issues in, in 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 August. So when Hooker was there, like he didn't have his top receiver Trey Turner, and some of the other receivers were out too. And then finally, they're about to start the season, and then Hooker himself is out for a long time. So they really haven't had a chance to get better at the traditional passing. So is, is he a Richard sophomore, or Richard Junior? Richard Junior. Well. Yeah, redshirt junior, but then he'll also be. But a he could be a redshirt junior, junior <laughs> next, again, year. next year. Yeah, and th- and this may be a guy where things finally start to click. You know, as as a senior, Brian Randall was that way. <laughs> well, Brian right, Randall right. wasn't that great a quarterback until like three or four games into his senior year. And it's hard to get better at something without practicing it. I, yeah. I know people yeah. will poo poo practice and don't think it's that important. We talk about it absolute, practice. It absolutely is important, and uh, that's the thing. He was he had to get better in the traditional passing game and. For all the reasons I stated, he was not had, didn't have an opportunity to. So what you say? So it, well, he's the same player he was last year, except I think he's a little. I think he's a little more athletic this year. But from a passing game standpoint, he's the exact same guy because yeah. he didn't have a chance to get better. So for Virginia Tech, I'm trying to analyze what you guys are saying. For Virginia Tech to hit its full potential this year on offense, does running the football have to translate to success for the rest of the offense to open up. Kind of looks that way. I would agree with that. With with a caveat that, again, it was also Wake Forest and his two worst games as as a tech starting quarterback have come against Wake Forest from a grading standpoint. So, so it could be some of that too, but yes, I mean, I think it's important that tech be able to be able to run the football. We've spent nearly a half hour talking about the offense, breaking down Virginia Tech's 23-16 loss to Wake Forest on Saturday, but so much positivity surrounding the defense on Saturday in the loss. Let's transition from the offensive side to the defensive side of the ball. A reminder, if you have a question for Will or Chris, you're watching live on YouTube, be sure to drop a question, and Malcolm will read them at the end of the show. Chris Coleman, one word to describe the Virginia Tech defense. They gave up just 23 points. What would it be? Much improved. Better. Well, that was two words. You can throw but, a hyphen but, but, in there. Hyphen in there. Does that count as one word? <laughs> uh, Let it okay, count. Okay, yes. Or improved. 
Uh, if you told me before the game that Virginia Tech would hold Wake to 23 points and 316 yards of total offense, mm-hmm. I would have said, whoa, that's going to be a nice, impressive victory. We're going to win that one by double digits, maybe even 20 points. Uh, everybody's going to be really happy on Sunday. Didn't work out that way. Uh I thought the defense, they didn't get off to a good start, but they got better as, as the game went on for sure. They were, they were and they, much... didn't, they didn't really seem to suffer when Gerard Hewitt got better. Oh, no, uh, well, no, well, no, they got better. Yeah. They got better because he was the lowest grader of all defensive tackles, and Josh Fuga was the highest grader of all defensive tackles. So the guy who's too small for to play in any other system besides the Tech's old system, and then you put in the bigger guy who's who's a better fit Probably for this system. Fit. And, yeah, they got better. Um, it's it's and, like and football's Fuga, complicated in a lot of ways, but some ways it's not. And, and Fuga's probably getting in better football shape at this point. I mean, and, and he's just getting not, – Not better than Gerard, just better. Correct. You know, like he's just getting more experience as a player, yeah. uh, as a football player. So, yeah, so Fuga maybe should play more. Uh, you know, not that I think Hewitt's a bad player or anything. I just uh, – there's going to be certain games where he's more effective than others with his size at 280 pounds. Um, this, by modern standards, that's not that's that's extremely small for for a defensive tackle. So, I, I was oh, on the whole, I was impressed with the defense. I thought, I, I thought, I thought Walker would give him a lot of trouble, but they shut him down. It was Beal Smith that broke off the big runs that I was I was surprised about, but. You know, on the whole, that was in, that was better. The secondary, I thought, I was really impressive because Hartman's been an efficient quarterback. Wake's wide receivers are good. They had the number one grading wide yeah, receiver yeah, in the Roberson. ACC. Yeah, and he had he had six catches, but only for like forty seven yeah, yards. A lot of them were in like the that. first half. Roberson ended up uh, six receptions, forty six yards. Right. So they had four <laughs> receivers who all were near two hundred receiving yards yeah. coming into the game. And Roberson had the most receiving yards with 46. Yeah, and he only completed 12 passes. Uh, now, granted, I, I think they, they only attempted 17. 17, correct. I, I think you know, with a few sacks in there. But uh, I, I think I think they really wanted to try to run the ball on Tech. And they did early, and I think they were maybe a little surprised they couldn't do it in the second half. I, I don't know. But on the whole, though, I was, imp- I was pleased with Tech's pass defense. I, I think starting the same players there – I think helps. Starting to yield some benefits. Yeah. One one word for Will. What would you use, Will? Uh, I would say better. Uh, um, Chris, have you looked at the linebacking grades? Um, Yeah, they were – I don't think Dax was so hot. but Dax didn't play a whole lot. He didn't play a whole lot. Um, Tisdale's was okay. Uh, Ashby's was maybe probably the best he's had this year. So so the the linebacker play is getting better. You know, I think things are – Things are getting better uh, gradually. One observation I had was watch, we talked a lot about Rayshard Ashby over the last couple of weeks. That was a little bit of a slow start for him to begin the season. Chris, to me, it felt like watching Ashby on Saturday. It felt like he was in the right place at the right time. More. Yeah, more yeah. often. He, he, more <laughs> often, yeah, yeah. It's, he's getting better between the tackles. Um, uh, so he's more. I think he's more comfortable with the scheme. He's, he's probably getting into better shape to a certain extent. Um, that's still not going to be fully fixed until the off season, a whole whole off season worth of conditioning. But yes, he was better. Um, he, he's not going to be reliable in plays outside the tackle box. Uh, so, we, so that's just something we're going to have to get used to. Like, like he couldn't catch Hartman on that touchdown run. 
And Hartman came into the game with negative rushing yards, right? And Ashby just couldn't keep up with him on that scramble. But for plays between the tackles, he was much, much improved, much more active. Um, seemed seemed quicker going in a straight line, like getting from point A to point B, like like when he yep. had that sack. Yep. Um, so, yeah, and then the sack, by the way, was also a strong play. He engaged the blocker, right. knocked him on his yep. button, and yep. made the uh, sack. That's so. right. That's right. So hopefully that, that's a sign of good things to come. And, and we uh, saw a little bit from Justice Reed. I think he's been dinged up, and, and hopefully he's getting better as yeah. well. And, and we had heard, I heard last week that they had been working Dak some at Mike because they just didn't know whether Ashby was going to get it back at this point. Yeah. So that might have provided some extra motivation for him too. I don't know competition uh, you know and, and we can we can talk about that in a minute well yeah. how much better is tech's defense when divine diablo's playing clearly a lot better now now that said you know the the run up the middle where uh wake forest just bulldozed into the end zone six yards out diablo was the first guy there yeah and he, he hit the ball carrier and just kind of bounced off he got a very low rating in terms of tackling yeah. but as far as run fits making the right decisions he was good, and in coverage, he was good. Yeah. So, like, him and Devin Taylor have solidified the secondary as far as coverage. Stabilized, yeah. And, sta- and, and yeah. Taylor is at the free safety. And, and, and Diablo's at, at, at strong the, safety. At the strong I, safety. I think. Honestly, at the beginning of the year, you know, when Jenkins was starting and Diablo was starting, that's how it was. It was the other way. No, 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 no. Oh, was, you're it was, right, it was you're Diablo right. at strong safety. And, it wasn't and, and listed that free, way. But it that, wasn't listed that way, but yeah. that's how it was, so. I assume they've, they've kept him on the short side safety. I'm, I'm so, not so I don't think this is one of his better games. But clearly, they're a better defense. You know, <laughs> right. he had a really. I thought he had a really good game against Boston College last week. Yeah, he did. Let's talk about Devin Taylor for a moment. Someone who transfers in late from Illinois State, uh, where he was a really good FCS player. He came in as a corner. He's been playing safety. Uh, he was given a. 68.8 coverage score, <laughs> according to Pro Football Focus, which you mentioned in your recap article, seems to improve the uh, the, oh, the, the, the pass defense. certainly improved the pass defense. But, well, I mean, just uh, the job that he's done, Chris, coming in so late, oh, moving positions, how, how important has he been to stabilize the second? No, if you remember, Chenga Hodge got here late, but Devin Taylor got here even later. Yeah, like I think practice had been going on for two weeks before he even hit the portal and announced he was because Illinois to State's FCS, right? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and FCS decided they weren't going to play, and, right? And, and Tech's practice had already started, so then he transfers, gets in, and then has to go through COVID two weeks. protocol. Two weeks that of is. protocol. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm, it's like I wrote the other week. Like I don't bet he didn't have his full first full contact practice until late August or early September, um, about a month after. This after practice it. started, yeah. right? And then he's playing corner. Oh, and then he's out for a game with COVID-related issues. And then he comes back for UNC and plays a few snaps. And then the next week it's, boom, let's move him to a completely, completely different position, safety. He's barely even practiced at cornerback, and now we're going to start him at safety. Um, so he's actually, mentally, he's made that transition really well because playing pass defense isn't, it, it's a lot more complicated than it seems. I, th- I think they've made some things simple for him. I think they keep him deep a lot, which you, you don't have to doesn't doesn't give you a lot of you don't you don't show up on the highlight film. <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> it's getting um, beaten downfield. Yeah, but 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 on the whole, he's done a good job there. Um, as a safety, I would say he covers like a corner and he tackles like a corner because hmm. uh, he he didn't. You were right. He had another one the other day. And one of those long runs by by Bill Smith, 
where he went up and didn't even try to wrap him up. He just kind of put his shoulder into him, and Bill yeah. Smith just kept going. So he's got to get better at that point. He's got to get better at that. Um, but, again, I uh, when you've got half the team out with COVID or whatever before the season and you're just trying to get 50 guys together so you can have a practice, you're not going to have a tackling practice, right? Yeah. Because you can't afford to lose anybody else to injury. So I don't think Tech tackled very much in the preseason, and that's kind of showing up at times. Breaking down Virginia Tech's 23-16 to loss to Wake Forest on Saturday, episode 145 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. Uh, in a little bit, we're going to talk about state of the fan base a little bit. There was a lot. It felt like there was some negativity on social media and the boards a little bit more than normal. We're going to talk about that. But – to wrap up the defense, I don't have a clever way to introduce grit on the podcast today, but we do need to get a grit read in. So what I'm going to do is, Will, we're going to throw on these hats. We're going to talk about grit, but I'm going to ask you for the grit defensive player of the game for Virginia oh, Tech. One player who showed grit. Who would you pick? Wow, who would I pick? Can I pick Barno? Absolutely. Amari yeah. Barno, five tackles, uh, solo tackles, one assist, six total, three tackles for loss. Highest grader on defense, at least as far as the preliminary grades. Ba-bam. There you go. <laughs> Grit. Proud partners here at Tech Sideline. A proud sponsor of the Tech Sideline podcast. So, dear Amarni, in the off room, get in, get in the off season, get in the weight room and show some grit in there, man. And, oh. and you've, got, you've, got a, you've got a shot. You know, when I was watching the game on Saturday, I, I was sitting there thinking – you know, we've got some guys who I think have talent who, like, Barno hasn't really had a chance because he was lifting like a linebacker because that's the position he always thought he yep. was going to play. So this is an indic- – I'm not blaming Barno for this. But we've got some guys that aren't big enough at certain spots for their position. Some of it's – sometimes it's their fault, sometimes it's not. Like, Hewitt can't help that he's undersized for a defense tackle. He's our best weight room lawyer, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, he works as hard as he can. The, the there room. are some other guys who whose names I won't name. That I don't think put all put 100% into it from a strength and conditioning standpoint. And I say that as someone who lifts weights almost every day. I can look at somebody and tell, and tell these days exactly how much, how much effort they're putting into it. Um, I would assign partners. Like I would, I'm not, again, I'm not going to name names, but uh, <laughs> I, I would, there, there's, uh, there's somebody on the team that I would make hang out with, like Brock Hoffman and Jared Hewitt in the weight room. Or Dorian Strong's dad, or, as we or, talked about. Right, or, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Dorian could just hang out with his dad. Dorian <laughs> can just hang out with his dad. Yeah, it'll be fine. Um, so I, I want to, that's the main thing I want to say. Like, I'm actually, we'll talk about this later, but I, I'm thinking, always thinking long term, of course. And, uh, I want to see some more buy-in by specific players to strength and conditioning because there's two or three guys, four guys maybe, that I think are costing themselves. Maybe one or two of them even might even cost themselves money because they're just not that they don't they're not they don't fully grasp grasp what a weight room can do for I, you. I would tell those young men you're not going to be 18 to 22 your entire life you you'll get down the road to the point I'm at now in my mid 50s where you won't have the energy anymore to do that you know um you, you you'll go and you'll do your workout and you'll stay in shape but you won't have that 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 raw energy and strength so just enjoy it while you're young man go for it and someone who we're not going to have enough time to touch on who definitely had a lot of uh, strength and energy on the weekend Jamari Connor, eight solo tackles, led the team, 10 tackles overall, led the team, also had a tackle for loss. Again, 
bright spot for a Virginia Tech defense that's had a lot of players out the last couple of weeks due to COVID-19 and uh, contact tracing. And so uh, Virginia Tech defensively putting together one of their best games of the season in a loss on Saturday. So what have they allowed? They've allowed 37 points combined the last two games after that mess at UNC. Uh, that's a really good job. Well, they got a stiff but test coming up, though. We'll they talk do. About they that they on do. Thursday, it's a man. different animal. And that's a good tease. On Thursday afternoon, we'll have a Tech Sideline podcast, episode 146, completely analyzing, breaking down, and previewing Virginia Tech and Louisville. All right, we're going to step aside for a break. When we come back, we talk a little bit about the fan base, the reaction to the loss on Saturday Wake Forest, and then we get into your questions for those that are watching on YouTube. You're listening and watching to episode 145 of the Tech Sideline podcast, brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Here at Fisher Law Firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go Hokies. Welcome back into episode 145 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Whether you are watching live on YouTube, watching archived on YouTube, or listening, it is so great to have you with us as we continue to break down and analyze the 23-16 win for Wake Forest over Virginia Tech on Saturday. Chris Coleman, Will Stewart, Malcolm Stewart, and Evan Hughes back with you. I want to take a couple of minutes here uh, before we get to the questions on YouTube Live. If you're watching, go ahead and drop those now in the comment section, and Malcolm will read them at the end of the show. It, you know, after any uh, loss, not just for Virginia Tech, for all sports teams, there's always going to be, uh, you know, reactions from fans. But it, it, it did feel like there was a little bit more um, added negativity on social media and the message boards following Virginia Tech's loss to Wake Forest. Well, how much of that negativity is warranted from the loss to Wake Forest? And what were your thoughts? So I was uh... – I was surprised by the post-game reaction. People were really mad about losing the Wake. They weren't really mad about losing to North Carolina. And and Virginia Tech fans as a group hate North Carolina way more than they hate Wake Forest. Right. So I just got to thinking about this stuff. And um, first of all, were you paying attention? You know, we, we picked a one-score game. I don't know what the – again, again the, the bookies, when they set their odds, they're trying to get people to bet. They're not telling you what's going to happen in the game. But they had Virginia Tech favored by 11 or 12 points, and Chris and I didn't see that. I think I picked a 41 to 35 Tech. And and I picked like, a very like, similar and, score. And, and I wasn't – I was probably like 80% going to pick Virginia Tech to win, but it's not something I did just automatically. You know, you know, I, I had some concerns about I, this I did too. the Wake Forest offense. And and so, you know, part of me wants to say to people that got really upset, were you paying attention? You know, but it goes just beyond analyzing this matchup and you get into. So the difference between the UNC game and the Wake Forest game is that Tech played hard, came back from a deficit against UNC, showed a lot of heart, executed really well offensively. You know, so there was a lot to respect there in this. And it's funny, the defense was terrible against UNC, but the offense was pretty good. Oh, yeah. Fast forward to the weight game, and the offense was was pretty terrible in terms of turnovers and not executing in the red zone. But the defense was pretty good. And <clears throat> so one aspect of this is that 
is that fans appear to respond better to a to a good offensive performance in a loss as opposed to a good defensive performance. And this has been the story of Virginia Tech football forever. <laughs> the fourteen to ten loss is a painful loss. The fifty six to forty five loss at least you were entertained. Yeah, you know, it wasn't as painful. Um so there's that part of it, but but a lot of the criticism centered around the and I do want to address this, and I might go on for as long as five minutes. The Virginia Tech coaching staff quote not having the team prepared unquote. I'm sorry. Do you watch much college football? I say this every year. I say this. This isn't a bunch of robots. It's a bunch of college kids. Even the pros struggle to come out with consistent effort. And college football, you never know what you're going to get from week to week. And you see this all over college football. And, you know, I I could give you examples. I won't, but you've seen a lot of it. So it's a common occurrence for for a team to come out flat and out of sync. And we don't know why it happens. There are people that get paid a lot of money to try to figure out why this happens. And they can't figure it out. And then you see fans, they think, and they can't figure it out. And you see fans, they say things on Twitter like, like, like I tried to find the thread earlier in the podcast where a tech fan says, Fuente never has a team prepared. They always get down early. <laughs> what? Where were you during the NC State game and it was 17 nothing Virginia Tech eight minutes in? Always, you should be very careful about using words like always and never. <laughs> very carefully. Don't just throw them around because you're mad. So there's that. And, and, and as far as getting the team to getting a team, a college football team to play hard every time out or a college basketball team, by the way, to get them to play a certain to a certain level every time out. Almost nobody can do that. And what about Clemson? Well, what does Clemson have that most teams don't have? What does Alabama have that most teams don't have? Competition every single day in practice, every single day. If you mess up, you might lose your job. Now at schools at, at the Virginia Tech level, and, and I'm not I'm not criticizing this criticizing this guy. I'm just holding him out as an example. Is James Mitchell ever going to lose his starting job? No. You got James Mitchell. You got Eric Galley. You got Drake Dulius, and that's it. James Mitchell is going to play whether James Mitchell has a good week of practice or not. There is nobody behind James Mitchell Mitchell threatening his job, and there are a lot of examples of of that up and down the Virginia Tech starting lineup. You seen any running backs beside Raheem Blackshear and Khalil Herbert? No. Are you going to see any running backs beside those guys? No. So that's part of the special sauce of getting teams to play hard every time out is that competition every single day in practice that, frankly, most programs just don't have it. And and it's just because they don't have rosters stocked with four- and five-star guys who are driven to take your job. So the, this expectation that you can just – cart these robots out on the field and they're going to execute at the same level every game, that's just not going to happen. And what you hope, and, and here's another difference in Virginia Tech football, this got me, I actually went and looked up the box score for the 1999 West Virginia game. Evan, can you do me a favor and find out what West Virginia's record was going into that game? Uh, it was not good. It was like three and five three and five or something that like was that. not yeah. a good football team yeah and yet one of the best teams in in college football virginia tech struggled with with uh, west virginia that night it happens but the difference was when it came crunch time you had a guy with the raw talent of michael vick 
and the talent of Shane Graham to make a difference. Two NFL players. They were three two, and five going into that. Two game. NFL All Pros. Yeah, you know, and, and that that was not a good team. And yet, and it's funny if you look at the box score. It's not like Tech turned it over a lot. They outgained West Virginia. They didn't turn it over a lot. It was just a weird night where a lot of things went against Virginia Tech, but they had the sheer talent to overcome it. And that's just not really true of Virginia Tech football right now. If if things if you turn it over a lot and things aren't going your way, you're much more likely to lose. And one last point I want to make is that, um, and and we talked about this on the podcast. Fuente's got a got a got a knack for keeping his team close. Not every time, but in general, he's got a knack for keeping his team close when things aren't going well. He does something to keep it close. And when, when you can lose the turnover battle three to nothing to a team that Wake Forest didn't make any mistakes that I can think of. Right. They didn't turn it over. They, they didn't, they blew a coverage against James Mitchell mm-hmm. and that resulted in a touchdown. But otherwise they played a really solid game. When, when you can turn it over, the turnover margin is three, nothing and you still keep it within one score. You know, that, that, that's pretty good. So there, there's a recency bias. You see the way Virginia Tech played against Boston College, you think the rest, the rest of the season is going to go that way. <laughs> you, you see the offensive line, and you think they're going to blow people off the ball like that every single game. Well, they're not. And then you look and see what the Virginia Tech passing game was not able to do against Wake Forest, and Hendon Hooker turns it over three times, and there's a, there's a recency bias that all oh, the rest of the season is going to go like that. It's not, you know, so – I don't want to get preachy. This is just a, a bunch of thoughts I had on on the whole reaction. Um, you know, this this is a team that can get beat. They have to play well to win. They can get beat by anybody they play, and yes, that includes Little Old Wake Forest. It, you know, Chris, do you think that the reaction stemmed from just people not realizing how good Wake Forest is? Uh I think that's certainly part of it. I think uh, in this country right now, I think people are a little bit on edge. So when something bad happens or something they don't like, they're a little extra angry mm-hmm. these days. Uh, I think that that's human nature. I think that's part of it. Also, I also think there's two different football fans. There's uh, some people who just watch the games, and then when the game is over, they don't talk about it. And then there's other fans that are on their phones on the internet the entire game, and then they're on the internet after the afterwards to talk about the game. And the one is I'm not saying one is better than the other, but if if you go hang out with a bunch of angry people after a game, then you're just gonna make you angry. So like everybody on Twitter is after a loss, you go on Twitter, you're gonna read stuff and. It's just going to make you mad, right, like, 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 or get on the boards, even our boards, and uh, it just kind of feeds on itself, you know, uh, the the negativity. Um, I had a good day on Saturday because, you know, I watched the game, then I went to the grocery store, and then I made dinner, and you know, I went through the boards a little bit. I could see that people were angry, but I really just did my thing and didn't pay attention to what tech fans were saying on Saturday. And I was in a much better mood for it. Um, I went to champs for the game and I was at a table by myself, a table for 10 upstairs. And most of the rest of the other tables were full, but 
the weird thing is like everybody was in tech gear they were there because of the game it was something to do but none of them was watching the game um it, it was just so strange like there a lot of the ta- like one of the tables was like right under one of the tvs and 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 they couldn't see the game. There was one table of these two dudes and these two girls, and one of the guys was really into the game. The other guy was just busy talking to the girls. And there was a fam. <laughs> there, there, there was a family uh, there that were all decked out in tech gear, but none of them were watching the game. It was just like people were there because the game was going on. It was an excuse to get out of the house, but they didn't care. That's weird. They didn't care. And then I, I wanted a change of scenery. For the second half so i went downstairs maybe i have better luck down there maybe tech can come back and win the game and there weren't as many people down there and the ones who were there were not paying any attention to the game um i just don't think as many people care this year and I, honestly i now notice I, he said this year this year um i think this year is about making enough money to keep your athletic department afloat look every team has a different story Every team has players who, a certain number of players who probably went the entire offseason thinking there's not going to be a season. And then all of a sudden, they're caught off guard at the end, right before practice starts, saying, oh, we're actually going to have a season? Oh, crap, I'm 10 pounds overweight. Oopsie. And, and <laughs> oh, oh, now, you know, uh, you have some guys who took this offseason seriously and some didn't, and this is the same for every team. Um I, I just I have a hard time getting serious about this season, and it's not Virginia Tech thing. I love baseball. You know, I normally watch about 150 Atlanta Braves games yeah. this year, or each year. Um, I think I watched five or six this year. I just couldn't get into it because the season was shortened. I didn't know what to expect. I Honestly, I think the whole, entire talk, over the spring and summer of is there going to be a season is there not going to be a season and all the arguments about that around all sports i think it just made me mentally fatigued so when the seasons actually did start i just didn't care i haven't watched a single nfl game i really haven't watched any college football except for virginia tech mm-hmm. um so i just think a lot of people like like unless tech just completely stinks this year I don't think the season matters. The, I, the I, other thing it's about is just playing the games to, to, to just, just keep fans engaged. Right. Otherwise, right. you'll lose a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, and to keep it as normal as possible. But even that, you know, when you actually turn on a game and you see nobody there, it doesn't make you feel normal. So, so. one of the things I'm experiencing is I, I realize I've gotten used to watching quiet football. And you see clips from seasons past and you're like, wow, I forgot it was like that those fans are going crazy there's all kinds of noise in that stadium you know and that's sad and i'm looking forward to the day that that's over (laughs) you know i'm I'm looking forward to hearing malcolm stewart's voice on episode 145 (laughs) of the tech sideline podcast good discussion let's turn it over to those that have questions on youtube and then i've got a couple of questions that were submitted before the show on twitter malcolm how are you doing pretty good we'll start with uh west smallwood has anyone ever received a good explanation of the kick catch interference call you know i only saw the replay that they played on tv the the, the ball did hit the ground right and bounce up right? i don't know i watched it a couple of times last night and it may have actually just kind of bounced off the tee okay if it didn't hit the ground then it's then i think that's uh, then it's a simple call but but if it hit the ground uh if it hit the ground, it's it's anybody's game. But right. I'm I'm pretty sure that it, I think if if it never hit the ground, then I I think 
it's, it becomes like a regular return. I think ultimately what the refs decided was the ball didn't hit the ground. Now, the, the Wake Forest guy, I did not see a fair catch signal. Right. I don't think it had anything to do with but that. But you have to allow him to catch Correct. it. Correct. And, and Fuente didn't freak out about it. Like, he wasn't going crazy on the sideline right. or yelling. Uh, now, he yelled about something earlier in the game. I mean, he lost it early in the game. When they went to call an illegal substitution penalty on Wake Forest and they threw the flag, but they realized, oops, we shouldn't have done that. We should have let the play play out and then throw and, the play. And Trey Turner was supposedly wide oh, open. Had, Tech had a, had a – oh, I saw him. He was going across the field open. Oh, and we had actually had one dialed up that, assuming we'd thrown the ball accurately to him, it would have been a big play. Fuente lost it over that, and I don't blame him. Bad officiating. Right. It was uh, – it was a, it, and it wasn't one of those things where, oh, I thought I saw a hold, so I'm going to throw a flag, and it wasn't a hold. It was just one of the, those things that's like illegal substitution – you 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 don't you throw your flag after the play starts and you let the play run out right, when it's defensive right. illegal substitution because the offense might might hit a big play, right? You, um, yeah. So he lost it over that. He didn't lose it over the uh, over over the, over the onside kick. So so, so, so would, they might have got it right. So I'm guessing it didn't hit the ground. I would answer the question this way: it 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 is kick catch interference, assuming the ball did not hit the ground, and I think that's their story, and they're sticking. To and it. and I don't that that's nobody's fault. Like I don't you don't blame Dax for that because I'm on the I'm on the coverage team. I'm just going to assume the ball is going to hit the ground, and I'm going to take the guy out. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Good question. Thanks for the uh, explanation, gentlemen. All right, from Joseph Warren. Many are blaming this loss solely on the coaching staff, especially Fuente. Do you agree, or is this loss more on our players' inability to execute properly? Okay, uh, I'm, I'm going to jump in here, and I'll try to keep it down. Um, we as fans watch Virginia Tech football year after year after year, and we want Virginia Tech to win. And the players come and go. And I think the fans don't understand the typical player's perspective. There's a lot more going on in a player's mind than, than winning the game for the team. And this isn't a criticism. I'm just pointing out the guy's got a lot going on. And could you repeat the question, Malcolm? A lot of fans have been blaming the coaching staff. Blaming the loss solely on the coaching staff, especially Fuente. Um, you, yeah, so that question isn't really related to what I'm saying. Um, I think it goes back to what I was talking and talking and talking about earlier. There's just there's there is no secret sauce to getting the team playing at the at their top efficiency. Those that are criticizing the play calling, I can. There was another play we haven't even talked about yet where Hendon Hooker had nothing but green grass in front of him, and Christian Darasol of all people didn't make the block that would have <laughs> sprung him for a touchdown. There's nothing a coaching staff can do about that. When you call the the fake punt at the perfect time and later on your team does nothing with that, you know, when you call the pop pass to Blackshear, which you've been holding for the fifth game, and, man, when we finally call it, it's going to go for a touchdown, and it doesn't. And we know? Tech executed it pretty perfectly. They did. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Wake Forest executed it a smidge better. Yeah. You know, so I just uh, – that's just fans who are just waiting but that, that, that they don't like the coaching staff. They'd like a new coaching staff and, and they come out of the woodwork after a loss Just uh, justified or not. That's my take. Uh, you know, I mean, the blame can be shared by everybody. Um, I do think it's it's harder to overcome bad games these days because you just, you don't have as much talent. The talent's more spread out. I remember going. I remember reading Frank Beamer's book, Turn Up the Wick, and he's talking about the 1999 Rutgers game. And uh, 
he could just tell at the team hotel that, the, that they weren't mentally dialed in. And I remember his quote in the book was, he gets them on the bus to go to the stadium, and he says, you guys better get it right between here and the stadium because you don't have it right right now. And Tech played a horrible game that night against Rutgers. I mean, they still won by like 40 because Rutgers was the worst team in the country and Tech was the second best. I mean, they completely steamrolled him with talent, but Tech played an awful game. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, they gave up like 28 points. That, de- that defense gave up yards to Rutgers and just didn't play well. Evan, can you look that score up? Because I remember Michael Vick having four touchdown passes in like the oh, first the, the, 15 yes. or 20 well, minutes. Well, yes. I mean, Michael Vick versus Rutgers, that's going to happen. <laughs> but defensively, we didn't play well. Hmm, interesting. Bad game. Okay. Um, uh, and and there's, been, there's been so many other games. I mean – I mean, all those years where Tech won 10 games, it's not like they played a great game, each one of those wins or whatever. They, they just – they could overcome it with, with because they had better players than everybody else, right? But, like, uh, like I don't know, like the 2008 season when Tech won 10 games and <laughs> they, they, they had to rely <laughs> – they had to – good call, I mean. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt the train of thought. I've Technology. never gotten up in the middle of the podcast. But I have it up on my uh, laptop. But instead, Malcolm, if you throw the camera on me real quick, it is. Yeah, so Will has the, uh, what is this, RC, RC Col- Cola what? Bottle. RC Cola Bottle. I actually have this at my house as well. And right on the side here, it's uh, Virginia Tech Opponents, 1999. And, now, now, um, now, let me guess, 62 to 28? Rutgers, what would you say? 62 to 28. No, sir. Just under 62. Close. You want to take a guess, Chris? <laughs> 58 to 24. 58 to 20. Final oh. score. Tech beat Rutgers. It was the fifth game of the year. Hokies were coming off a 31 7 win over UVA the week prior. My whole point there was like Frank Beamer was mad yeah. because they didn't play well that game. Rutgers was just so bad, and Tech had better players than everybody that it didn't matter. Like now, these days, if you have a bad game, the talent is so spread out, you're going to be able to tell. Right. Yeah. We had played. We played plenty of bad games under Frank Beamer. We just had way better players than everybody else, and it didn't. You know, you you didn't notice it as much. So, that's just the nature of the beast with the talent being spread out around college football. Like not even like as well as we perceive Penn State to be recruiting, they aren't quite recruiting at the Clemson Alabama level. Yeah. Because when you when you watch their highlights of that Indiana game, (laughs) I mean those plays I mentioned earlier, like. Indiana put some guys on the field that were as good as Penn State's players. I know, I know. And yeah. so that's that goes back to my whole point. Then once you get past a certain level in the recruiting rankings, you shouldn't even do rankings at all because it just I, – I think it, it, it gives people an inaccurate view of reality. Hmm. And I just think the talent is more spread out these days than it was in the past. And – you're talking about college kids, and they're not going to be mentally dialed in each and every week. So there's going to be more inconsistency for everybody, in my right. opinion. Great answer. Let's do one more on YouTube Live, Malcolm, whatever you'd like. And I've got yeah. a couple on Twitter. So we've got a really short one for Chris. Uh, where's your shirt from? I don't think I can say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> for <it> sponsorship a... <laughs> reasons. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, bum, bum. <laughs> <laughs> but but you, you can email me chris at techsideline.com and i will tell you right, let me uh <laughs> let me jump over to twitter real quick we've got a couple of great questions i want to start with hunter elliott he says Hokies running game got exposed by wake's very athletic d-line when will tech adjust 
away from always zone blocking to an attacking man-on-man north-south running, especially in short yarded situations. We always run to the sidelines first. Well, Well, when they tried to run it inside, I mean, remember they, they ran it inside on the third and one early in the game and got stopped. They ran it inside on second one. And second the red two in the red zone stopped. gets stopped. You know, if they had adjusted to that in this game, it would not have worked because the interior of the offensive line just had just their worst games of the day. season. So yeah. I think so. If they didn't adjust to it, that might have been one of the reasons. It's like, man, those guys on the inside are playing horrible this week. I can't, with confidence, call this particular play because those guys are playing so bad. So I, in this particular game, so I've never been a big fan of of attacking teams laterally. I know why coaches do it, but I, I've always been a the fan of attacking directly and attacking downfield. And I remember watching the, the year that Fuente, his last year at uh, Memphis, when they were playing Ole Miss. Ole Miss was like number five team in the country, mm-hmm. and uh, you know because they were oh Hugh Freeze had that recruiting mojo going. Oh, if you know recruiting, what I mean. yeah. So so they had they had a lot of good good talent and. <laughs> And, and Memphis knocked him off, and that's when people really started paying attention to Fuente. And, but I remember tuning in to watch the fourth quarter of that game, and, and Ole Miss had the superior talent and speed, and Memphis was still running a lot of stuff to the perimeter, to the sidelines. And I remember watching it thinking, why are you doing that? That, that team is way more athletic than you are. So I'm not really making a point here. I'm not approving. I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying I'm just I'm just not a big fan of the lateral stuff either, but I understand why coaches mix it in to spread the field and get the defense spread out. Um, trivia. Ole Miss got up 14 nothing in that game. Really? And mm. Memphis came back and pretty much blew them out. Three or four straight mm-hmm. touchdowns, yeah. 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 And James Copeland asks, <clears throat> should we just lean more on the O-line to wear down opposing defenses instead of continuing to go to the edge behind wide receiver and tight ends when the perimeter blocking isn't working? Oh, the, no, the well, that, see, that's inaccurate. Perimeter blocking has been awesome this year. It was not on Saturday, but on the whole, like I would have gone into that game thinking Trey Turner, Tavion Robinson, Evan Fares, they're all having great seasons blocking. Yeah. Kale uh, Smith. James Mitchell's having a great season blocking. Christian Darisaw is on the edge as an offensive tackle. You got some guys on the edge that can block. Uh, Turner had a really good game blocking on Saturday, but everybody Did else didn't. Yeah. Uh, the, the tackles played well, but the tight ends didn't, didn't have a good game. So basically – Every shred of evidence we collected again for this tech team, it was like the reverse on Saturday. Um, so if you've been reading my Inside the Numbers articles, I think I dedicated a section to like – About three weeks ago. About two or three weeks receiver. ago about how good tech's perimeter blocking had been. They've graded out really, really well. Yeah. So I understand why they're going to that well because they've been so good out there. Man, they, they, just, they just laid an egg Saturday. It happens. Yeah, you, you can't overanalyze it. They just played – you can analyze it, but don't overanalyze it. Right, well, let's do one right. one more because this got eight likes, and uh, this was the most liked replied to my tweet. It's actually from Diablo Fan Account. He wants to know, why do we struggle to execute a traditional drop-back passing game? Yeah. Well, that's... well, first of all, Chris has been watching the grades all year, and the offensive line blocking, while stellar in the run game, is just okay in the pass well, game. Well, it was better. It was They actually graded out pretty – it was bad I against th- BC. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was pretty. It was good against Wake, actually. Which I think I think that means whoever's grading that blames those sacks on Hooker for holding the ball too long. I know one it, sack. At least definitely one, he held definitely the ball too was, long. Yeah. So they yeah. did a, They actually did a pretty good job against Wake. Um, some of it is like, like Hooker's background as a quarterback. He's just not that type of quarterback. He can become one for us to a certain extent, but you have to be able to practice. And they didn't have spring, and then yeah, he was out for part. 
of the preseason. His receivers were out for part of preseason. So he hadn't been able to actually practice what he needs to get better at, yeah. right? And then to top that off, like they don't have – they don't have much receiver depth. And the and receivers just are, as we've the, said over I mean, and over, they're not getting separation. They're not getting separation. Uh, I, like, Trey Turner's the same player he was as a freshman. Maybe not as good, quite frankly. Well, you know, as we've talked about also. He's a better blocker. He, he's not 100%. He's he's a better block. Right, right. But he's he hadn't been 100% since his freshman year. Yeah. Now, he was, he was the one guy I can think of who was actually wide open a few times. He was. Right, right. Yeah. But – Generally speaking, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, so the quarterback's not naturally gifted at it, and then you—it's not like they're running dynamic receivers out there. Like uh, Caleb Smith, generally speaking, he's been a good blocker, but he's not a very quick guy. So him coming in and out of breaks and things like that—it's just—you uh, know—I just—it's not a great option. But there, there's not any good options there. Payut was supposed to be a good option, and he broke his leg. Or foot or whatever. Yeah. Elijah Bowick is was a upper level three star, lower level four star recruit who spent his entire career hurt. I think he finally dressed out for for a game for the first time th- last week. Daryl Simmons was like a same like lower level four star, upper level three star. He's been out, and I think he dressed for the first time this past week. Uh, I think he dressed for the Wake Forest game, but yeah, so. but he hasn't been practicing in six weeks. You know? So uh, so there's you know, just there's just uh, so you, it's a number of things to answer your question. You, you're you know? th- you're throwing Changa Hodge in there. Changa Hodge didn't get here until mid August. Never didn't have the spring to learn the offense. Practice gets interrupted. Who knows if he was out with COVID related issues? And he I think he played 15 snaps against Wake. I mean, so there's it's a it's a whole lot of things. <laughs> yeah. It's a whole lot of things. And there is no quick fix here. There is not. It's not. It's not a quick fix at all. It's, it's something that can be improved, with practicing for an extended period of time without having to worry about game planning for an upcoming opponent. Right. Which is the spring or the first two to three weeks of August practice. I always tell Will and Chris, it's uh, easy for me to. It's a, it's a quick fix for me to uh, limit the amount of time we spend on the podcast, and then we spend an hour fifteen, hour twenty minutes <laughs> on right. the show. That's but fine. Uh, a great show today, nonetheless. And I, every time we bring up the time on the podcast, we always get comments. We enjoy the long podcast, so today a long podcast, a lot to break down, a lot of great questions. I yeah. So, so the only issue for me on Monday is I have to finish my Monday article. So that that's why I can't go too long on the Monday podcast. Well, that's going to be on TechSideline.com. There's also going to be a lot of other great content on the website this week. Chris Coleman, what can our uh, readers expect? You know, your normal stuff. Will's Monday Thoughts today. We'll have a Brandon Patterson review. I'll do an Inside the Numbers, uh, which, you know, I, whenever Tech loses, I try to make a point of, of pointing out the most positive Mm-hmm. things instead of just harping on the most negative so i'll um, probably be defense this time around. uh yeah we'll probably hit on some some of the defensive line guys probably fuga uh i want i'm i'm gonna point out some things offensively of course that were bad but you know i'm not gonna just completely unload on them <laughs> you know like what like what a lot of people do when somebody loses a football game so we're gonna have that gosh we'll have another podcast on thursday so much that I can't remember. Which is now well, on the main website, by the way. Yeah, so so Corey Van Dyke is doing, uh, um, what do you call it, run it back? Yep. 
So this coming this coming op- opponent is Louisville. So he'll have to find somebody from that 2005 Gator Bowl, right, to talk to. <laughs> He can talk to Marcus Vick. Talk to Jimmy Williams, man. <laughs> he can talk to Marcus Vick. About you know, the if, if, wouldn't it be great if he could talk to Justin Hamilton? He was uh, knocking the snot out of people in that game. Or, yeah, him and Daryl Tapbo. Is that the last <laughs> time Virginia Tech? I haven't done my Louisville prep. Is that the last time Virginia Tech played Louisville? I'm pretty sure. And yeah. this is the first time in the ACC. Louisville joined in 2014. Yeah. So this is the first time the Hokies have played the Cardinals. And we're not going to play them at home and, until at least. And they weren't even scheduled to play them. It, it, it was added in later, right? I think we were scheduled to play. Really? Them. Okay, yeah, that's it. No, or, or maybe next year. It was either this year or next year. I yeah, might, might have been next year. I don't remember. So, uh, looking forward. I uh, hope you can join us Thursday afternoon, uh, episode 151 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We will wait, preview. wait, 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 wait. Uh, episode I'm 146. Sorry, you're right. Sorry, 146. I'm getting excited for episode 150. 150 coming we, up. It's coming up in uh, a couple of weeks. But episode 146 on Thursday. I hope you can join us then. All right. That'll wrap things up on this Monday episode, breaking down Virginia Tech's loss to Wake Forest. Mine, it's a great time to subscribe to TSL and become part of the family. $84.99 is the annual price, $8.49 the monthly price, and $29.99 the student price. Will, Chris, any final thoughts before we sign off? Nope. Time to go do my article. Okay. Looking forward that. to reading that, and uh, that'll do it for us. Again, thanks so much for listening and watching. For our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart, the best producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart. I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes, saying so long. Thanks so much for watching and listening to episode 145 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you on Thursday. 